0: I'm very happy to be here, I'm also very nervous to be here. I picked a topic that is incredibly controversial, and it actually breaks my heart that it's controversial, and I also picked a topic that the more I got into it, it had been like Jim being tasked with uh, doing a uh, sermon over the New Testament. There was so much data and so much information, it was trying to... Trying to narrow it down was a pretty, uh, pretty daunting task, um, but I'm pretty happy with the way everything has turned out. Now, with that said, uh, there may be people that are offended by what I have to say today, and I'm sorry for that. I'm not sorry for the lesson I'm bringing. And with that also said, this is not directed towards anybody in the congregation other than my boys, my teen class. Um, those that are uh, uh, younger people, and it's somewhat emotional. And so, if is Glenn here, because I always pick on him for uh, needing his purse whenever he's preaching, but uh, if I if I uh, stumble and break down a little bit, then you have uh, everybody has the uh, the right to pick on me for that. But again, uh, this is not directed towards uh, anybody but our our younger staff and also the benefit of me doing this is I can't get fired so <laughs> all right so, so Jim educate me here which button is it the arrow, arrow, the, the, arrow. That the the, the, yeah, the arrow. all right the button that used to have an arrow let's see if it's on now it is It's what Jeff read for us. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So let's start at the beginning. Everybody recognize the name or the picture? A very controversial figure. Margaret Sanger. Here's a little bit about her. Again, this is a topic that we could go into for hours. But she opened one of the world's first uh, birth control clinics. Actually it was the first as far as I as far as my research said uh, in New York City in the uh, 30s and 40s. Um, and she was a, a leading advocate for eugenics. And eugenics is not a topic that's really talked about much anymore. Uh, At that particular era, it um, it was very much a hot topic. But she is reported to have said, Morons, mental defectives, epileptics, illiterates, paupers, unemployables, criminals, prostitutes, and dope fiends ought to be surgically sterilized. If they wish... She said such people should also be able to choose a lifelong segregated existence in labor camps. All right, so that was kind of the the heart of the eugenics movement of let's cleanse our society of these undesirables. So morons, mental defectives, epileptics, illiterates, unemployables, criminals, dope fiends. Had she had her way, Tennessee would never field a football team. That's the, uh, the end of my jokes for this particular one. And I was honestly surprised that I was able to fit one in to this particular topic. And also, there's a, there's a disconnect between uh, the uh, PowerPoint that I've got and the PowerPoint that's on this machine. So this slide's blank. Um, so I'll just read what I had written. And this also goes to show anybody who does a presentation, make sure you've got a printout of it. So anybody in uh, high school or in college, make sure that you've got backup props for any time you're public uh, speaking. But one of uh, Margaret Sanger's uh, creations was the Birth Control Federation of America. And part of that was called uh, the Negro Project. Now, um, this is an often misquoted um, quote of hers, and uh, I take it for what it's worth. It's oftentimes uh, shown uh, as a... Well, let, let me read it, and you'll understand why it's misquoted. As part of uh, the Negro Project, it was the minister's work is also important, and also he should be trained, perhaps by the Federation, as to our ideals and the goal that we hope to reach. We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the negro population and the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of the more rebellious members that is a that's a very controversial statement there now, the way i take it is that she wanted to make sure that um, that they were properly understood in what they were uh, what they were seeking but it's also been used by people on the other side that said that it obviously points to the fact that she wanted to exterminate the black population. Uh, That's, again, another topic for uh, for another day, but as part of her efforts, about 60,000 people were sterilized against their will. Uh, Among the victims were the blind, the deaf, epileptics, the mentally challenged, the mentally ill, and people uh, with low IQs diagnosed as feeble-minded. So we move on. Who knows what this is? But I recognize this building? That's the Supreme Court. All right? In 1973, um, that's where uh, the Supreme Court case of Roe v. Wade uh, took place. And in that... Uh, that ultimately, in a roundabout way through a liberal court, said that through the 14th Amendment that it was okay to have an abortion. Um, So it was uh, Jane Roe uh, versus Wade. Uh, Jane Roe was an alias uh, because the girl was quite young. Her name was uh, Norma McCorvey. And after uh, this case, it was a landmark case, um, she has since uh, become extremely uh, pro-life. So the person that, uh, that was paraded around in order to uh, make this case come to fruition is pro-life. But I bring this up simply because I want to kind of uh, freeze this 1973 era. Uh, I want to freeze that point in time. Now, 1973, you know, to my kids, that's, that's forever ago. Um, just to put it in perspective, I was born in 1976. So it's give or take uh, people my age, maybe a little bit older. All right, so I bring up 1973 to show this slide. Now, that evokes quite a bit of emotion. Anybody recognize what that is? All right, that's a noose. You know, we've seen it in tons of cowboy movies, but as far as the Civil Rights Movement goes, um that means something totally different. From This is according to the NAACP. From 1882, so towards the end of the Civil War, through 1968, which was a civil rights movement, uh, 3,446 black people were lynched. So let's call it 3,500. We'll just round up for 3,500 just for a... just for a... Point of reference. So 3,500 from 1882 to 1968. All right, here's a map of the United States. Look at the highlighted area. More or less, that is the population of those, how many states is that? Seven states. 17,936,588. And I don't know why I went to that many. 588, that's a pretty exact number. What is that number? More or less, and that number's rising even as I'm speaking, that's the uh, number of uh, black babies that have been aborted. It's pretty staggering, isn't it? Now why do I bring that up? Well, let's look at some of the rates. It's a three to one rate uh, versus white people. Um, out of, let's see, of every, thousand, uh, every thousand pregnancies, 420 uh, end in abortion in the black, uh, black community. So while white people outnumber our black brothers and sisters uh, 5 to 1, the black population has a 3 to 1 rate versus white people. All right. Let's move on to the next slide. Again, blank. This is all abortions in this country since Roe versus Wade. More or less 60 million. So imagine if an atomic bomb went off in Charlotte. Would that be national news? What if an atomic bomb took out North Carolina? What would happen? Uh, we'd turn some country into glass. Rand McNally would have to redo maps on Monday. Because that country would no longer exist. Think of the cities that are in this general vicinity. We've got Charlotte, which is big. Atlanta, which is way bigger. Nashville. St. Louis. Gone. All right, let's zoom out even more. I think the animation works here. All right, since nineteen eighty one point let's call it five billion people disappeared. That's staggering. This year, about twenty nine million. Assuming I'm up here for twenty minutes, fifteen hundred people are gonna vanish. So let's put that in perspective. The world population, give or take, 7.4 billion. 1.4 billion are not here. That's a sizable percentage. It's a staggering percentage. It's essentially the population of China disappeared. All right. This next one, I'm not gonna. This, I'm not gonna show anything very graphic. I don't have any live pictures or anything like that. There are thousands of them on the internet. If you want to know what what it looks like, but I do want to just let you prepare yourself because I do want to go into a little bit of detail as far as you know what we're talking about because it's important for our children to understand what it is that we're talking about. You know, we are not talking about getting a flu shot. We're not talking about going and, you know, having some uh, some benign surgery. So I want to be clear about what we're dealing with here. So I'm going to set the stage a little bit. All right, so imagine that you're a pro-choice obstetrician yeah. gynecologist, and this is, an actual, what I'm reading here is from Dr. Leventino, and uh, this was uh, something that he said before, I think it was a Senate judiciary hearing. So he says Imagine that you are, uh, for a moment, you're a pro choice obstetrician uh, gynecologist, an OBGYN, as I once was. Your patient today is 17 years old, and she is 20 weeks pregnant. At 20 weeks, um, her uterus is up to her umbilicus. And she has been feeling her baby kick for the last two weeks. Um, if you could see her baby, uh, the baby would be about as long from the, uh, let's see, would be as long as th- your hand from the top of her head down to the, to the bottom of her rump, not counting her legs. So head and torso about the size of your hand. Your patient's now asleep on the operating room table, their legs in stirrups. Upon entering the room, Scrubbing your hands uh, with a and uh, them with a sterile towel, uh, you are gloved and uh, gowned by your uh, scrub nurse. Sure. The first task is to remove the laminaria, which is a a substance that they uh, put inside the woman uh, to make her dilate. Um, that had been placed. Uh, let's see. Remove the laminaria that had been had earlier been placed in the cervix to dilate it sufficiently to allow the procedure that you're about to perform. With that accomplished, direct your attention to the surgical instruments arranged under the small table to your right. The first instrument you reach for is a 14-inch French suction catheter. It's a clear plastic, about 9 inches long, has a bore through the center, approximately 3 quarters of an inch in diameter. Picture yourself introducing the catheter through the cervix and instructing the uh, the, uh, circulating nurse to turn on the suction machine, which is connected through the clear plastic tubing to the catheter. What you see is a pale yellow fluid that looks a lot like urine coming through the catheter into a glass bottle on the suction machine. This amniotic fluid surrounded the baby to protect her. Now, look for the sofa clamp. This instrument's about thirteen inches long and made of stainless steel. a one end are jaws about two and a half inches long and about three quarters of an inch wide with rows of sharp uh, ridges or teeth, the instruments made for uh, grasping and crushing tissue it doesn 't let go when it gets hold of something. The second trimester. Uh, DNA is a blind procedure. What's it mean for it to be a blind procedure? Well, they don't have any type of uh, x-ray or camera to show what's going on. So basically, let's see, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit. I'll pick up back where this guy left off. The baby can be in any position uh, inside the mama. So picture yourself reaching in with a clamp, grasping anything you can. At 20 weeks, uh, the uterus is thin, so you have to be careful not to perforate or puncture the walls and and hurt the mother. Once you've grasped something, you squeeze on the clamp, set the jaws, and pull really hard. You feel something pop, out pops an arm or a leg about five inches long. Reach in again, grasp whatever you can, out pops something else. Uh, Reach in again. Uh, tear out spine, intestines, hearts, and lungs. The toughest part is extracting the head. At this, uh, baby's, uh, uh, at this age, the baby's head's about the size of a plum. It's now free floating inside. Um, it's very hard for them to find it. Then they grab it. It says you can pretty sure you've got a hold of it whenever the, the clamp is spread as far as your fingers will allow. And you crush down on it, the pure white gelatinous material. Uh, comes out of the cervix, which was the baby's brains. You extract the skull in pieces, and if you have a really bad day, like I often did, a little face may come out and stare back at you. Congratulations. You've successfully performed a suction d abortion. You've just affirmed her right to choose and made $600 cash in 15 minutes. Jeremiah 1 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This is just another type it's an injection abortion. Or basically, they just put a drug into the syringe, stab into the baby. And the baby slowly dies over the course of a few days. And then the mother gives birth to her stillborn child. Luke 1. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit saying, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. The last one's the most horrible. I won't dwell on it too long. Thankfully, this has been banned. This is what was known as the partial birth abortion. And thankfully, in 2003, I believe President Bush uh, banned it. Essentially what it was is based on various rulings. Until a baby has uh, come out of the womb, is not a person. So apparently there's magic dust there that once the baby's head passes through the magic dust, uh, it's now, uh, to die, it's a person. So until that happens, they would reach in, grab the baby, pull it out by its feet, while the head is still in the mother, they would stab it in the back of the head with surgical scissors, spread them wide, and stick, stick in a suction uh, hose and suck out the baby's brain. Whenever they would do that, the baby's arms and legs would stick straight out because obviously it feels pain. Thankfully, this type of barbarism is illegal. I believe that it still happens, probably in some uh, some back rooms. But as a nation, it is um, it's something that uh, thankfully it's, it's outlawed, but again, probably still happens. Now here, I want to go through a few of our common myths that... Uh, that you'll be fed either by the media or from your friends. Unfortunately, I don't think this, this slide is going to show up, and that's quite unfortunate. Um, essentially what it shows, and I can send this pictures out to everybody, and I'll just hold it up so you can see. By and large, it'll say it's just a clump themselves, and at seven weeks, it's just a little blob. It's a circle, um, and I'll show you right here, basically just a circle, looks like spit, nothing really to it. That is an actual picture from an abortion clinic in uh, Orlando. And they said that's what the baby looks like at seven weeks. Well, beside it is a picture of a baby that somebody miscarried at seven weeks that obviously doesn't look like a clump of cells or it looks like you spit in your hand. It looks like something more than that. At nine weeks, again, it looks like you know something you'd see of a of a science book of a chicken that you know one week's uh, one week's gestation. In reality, there's fully formed fingers and toes. They have their own fingerprints at that point. All right, myth number two. We have to have abortion in, ca- in cases where the life of the mother is in danger. I brought this up in my class uh, last the. Uh, Maybe last week we talked about it for just a couple of minutes at the end of class that came up. All right, let's see what people smarter than me have to say about that. All right, Everett Koop. Everybody remember Everett Koop with the beard, kind of looked like Smitty? Um, he was Ronald Reagan's uh, Surgeon General. And this is what he said. Protection of the life of the mother is an excuse for an abortion, uh, As an excuse for an abortion is a smokescreen. In my 36 years in pediatric surgery, I've never known one instance where the child had to be aborted to save the mother's life. All right, you say that, but that was a surgeon general appointed by a far right uh, Republican uh, president. All right, Alan Guffmacher, MD, he's the father of Planned Parenthood, longtime abortion advocate. Um, he was. His name was used in the Planned Parenthood's sister organization, the Gutma- uh, Guttmacher Institute. What he said: Today, it's possible for almost any patient to be brought through pregnancy alive, unless she suffers from a fatal illness such as cancer, leukemia, and if so, abortion would be unlikely to prolong, much less save, the life. All right, going on. Dr. Jasper Williams, past president of the National Medical Association. The number of medical cases in which abortion uh, <coughs> is an indicated and appropriate part of the treatment is practically nil. Since 1953, I have never seen a patient die who died because she needed an abortion and it could not be for- performed. From a physician who supports legalized abortion, and has performed abortions for decades. With diseases like lupus, multiple sclerosis, even breast cancer, the chances that a pregnancy will make the, uh, the disease worse is no greater than the chance the disease will either stay the same or improve. Um, from Mary Calderone, MD, a medical director for Planned Parenthood. Um, it's hardly ever necessary today to consider the life of the mother as, a th- as threatened by pregnancy. As a uh, This comes from an OBGYN who performed abortions but later became president of the American Association of Pro-Life uh, OBGYNs. In conclusion, although serious threats to health can occur, there's always a life-affirming way to care for mother and baby, no matter how bleak the prognosis. Moving on, five of, top, of Ireland's uh, top gynecologists in 1992, we affirm that there's no medical circumstances justifying direct abortions. That is, no circumstances in which the life of the mother may be saved by directly terminating the life of her unborn child. And the last one, uh, Dr. Jaime Gordon, Director of Medical Genetics, the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. In more than 25 years uh, now of medical practice, I have come to learn that if a woman is healthy enough to become pregnant, she is healthy enough to complete the term. In spite of heart disease, liver disease, Almost any disease. As far as I'm concerned, there are no medical indications for terminating a pregnancy. Anybody recognize this gentleman? Andre Bocelli. If you don't know who he is, look him up on YouTube. He is a, uh, I believe he's Italian. He's a tenor, unbelievable voice. Um, he had some pro, uh, some problems uh, in utero, uh, and the doctors—I'll read it. What it says here: it says the doctors had to apply ice to the stomach. Uh, when the treatments ended, the doctors suggested she abort the child, and they told her it's the best solution because the baby would be born with some disability. He was quite thankful that his mother did not listen to the doctors. He was born, um, he had some problems with his eyesight I think he had uh, some pretty severe glaucoma And then he later lost his vision um, Playing soccer as as a uh, young child But to listen to him sing It's unbelievable Another common myth we need abortion in cases of rape and incest. We talked about this in class. Now, from a statistics point of view, again, this is a red herring. Um, I think incest ab- accounts for like 0.03% of abortions. Rape was less than 1%. So, in our legal system, what is the, what's the typical sentence for a rapist? You ever think about that? They're going to go to prison. What, 20 years, 30 years? They're truly horrible, maybe more. What's the sentence that gets handed down to the child? They get the death penalty. Deuteronomy uh, 24, verse 16. says, fathers shall not be put to death for their children. Nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for their own sin. Where's this baby's sin? Miss Pennsylvania, conceived in rape. The gentleman to the right, not sure his story. But the uh, sentence there is correct. My mother and I were both victims. You don't kill one victim to make the other victim feel better. (laughs) Next myth. I'm not allowed to have an opinion because I don't have a uterus. Hopefully this picture shows up. Let's see if it does. Come back to that slide. There's a picture down below of Gianna Jessen. Again, if you don't know who she is, you need to look her up. Um, she is uh, well. Let me just read a little bit. I've got some time. This was a speech that she gave uh, again before Congress, and I'll just read it because she is an incredibly powerful uh, speaker. Uh, you owe it to yourself to look her up on YouTube. You can find lots of her, uh, lots of her speeches. Um, I'm going to sc- sc- uh, scroll down a little bit through to where she starts speaking. She says, I uh, wish to appeal not only to those present within the chamber today, but to my nation. We're here to, to discuss inf- infanticide. I'm greatly troubled that this hearing is even necessary and there are such laws preventing infanticide must be constructed in the United States of America at all. Many Americans have no idea that babies can live through abortions and are often left to die. But this does happen. I know this because I was born alive in an abortion clinic after being burned in my mother's womb for 18 hours. As a back story, she was uh, uh, through a botched uh, saline abortion. She's a give or take about my age says, my medical records clearly state the following. Born during sailing abortion, April 6, 1977, 6 a.m., 2 and a half pounds. Apart from Jesus himself, the only reason I'm alive is that the abortionist had not yet arrived to work that morning. Had he been there, he would have ended my life by strangulation, by suffocation, or simply leaving me there to die. Instead, I've, I lived and I have the gift of cerebral palsy as a direct result of the lack of oxygen to my brain while surviving the abortion. By the grace of God, in my case, a nurse called the ambulance and had me transferred to the hospital. That nurse saved my life, and I'm profoundly grateful to her for this. Those who wish to justify such unspeakable evil, such as leaving a baby without proper medical care to die, have become masters of the manipulation of language, intimidation, and defaming their opponents to achieve their wicked aims. As a nation, we are continuously exchanging the truth for a lie. We have neglected our soul. What will it take for us to awaken from our numbness and indifference regarding this? Will we ever wake? I'm confounded, as well, by the passivity so often demonstrated by otherwise good and just men, by the fact that we must plead with those in power to give the most vulnerable infants among us even one moment of their attention. This is a bipartisan issue, and I think it's important that the American people to weigh at this hour whether or not they wish to elect someone to the highest office in the land that favors infanticide because we're speaking uh, of, we're speaking of here, a child exactly as I was that had the audacity to live through her mother's abortion uh, and needed immediate and proper care. I have faced the consequences of our choices as a nation, as evidenced by my, my by my cerebral palsy. So, if you choose to do nothing, I believe that I deserve at least to know why you find the support practice tolerable and I would respectfully ask that you tell me directly. It seems that we, in some ways, we have lost our way in this beautiful nation, but that needn't be so. We have only to remember that uh, we are lent each breath and that we are all engraved upon the hands of God and therefore cannot for a single moment be forgotten by him. We only need to remember Jesus, who took me from my mother's womb to be his own. And what the picture I had up here it was another quote from her as she addressed, I believe it was the Australian Parliament. You know, it was something that, that really stuck with me. It says, men, you are made for greatness. Stand up and be men. You are made to defend women and children, not stand by while you know their murders are occurring and do nothing about it. That's, that's always stuck with me. You are made for greatness. Stand up and be men. This is a common phrase that you'll see at various rallies. You'll see it on TV. And, hey, who can't get behind this? My body, my choice. It rolls off the tongue nicely. But like the picture says here, your body doesn't have two heads, four hands, four legs, two beating hearts, two types of DNA. What's not shown here is something that I had drawn, just for the people that don't fully understand. Everything out here, that's your body. Everything here, that's not your body. That's somebody else's body. Does God forgive those who've had abortions? Absolutely. There's not a sin that we can commit that we cannot be forgiven. Ephesians 1 verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I, even I, am one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I'll remember your sins no more, from Isaiah 43 verses 25. Again, I'm not speaking to anybody in here in particular, I'm speaking to my boys I want them to stand up and be men. I was speaking to the rest of our teen class so they understand what we're dealing with here, that we're not talking about uh, you know, somebody ma- waving a magic wand and making some problems go away because by no means is teen pregnancy not a problem. So I just wanted people to understand, especially our young folks, to fully grasp what it is in taking someone's life. Now, with that said, do I know people that have had abortions? I probably do, and I probably don't know it. You probably do, and you probably don't know it. The fact that I think in New York City, I'm uh, remembering the stat uh, from memory, I don't have it written down, but I believe it was 50% of pregnancies ended in abortion, (laughs) at least in some of the lower income communities. So there will be people that you have encountered every day that you don't know, that have some great uh, weight upon their shoulders. And again, that's another topic that we could talk about at length for hours, is the the psychological, the uh, the various weight of those decisions that people have made. Um, I'm told that I've got a friend that whenever she fell away from the Lord for a period of time, uh, had an abortion, I don't know who it is. Um, it was a, a preacher friend of mine. I mentioned that to me whenever I told him what I was going to be talking about. I have no idea who it is, uh, but uh, it's going to be something that that weighs on her until she grows cold. Um, By the same token, that same preacher, uh, the doctors advised his wife to abort their second child because she had such uh, grave medical issues. She was born, not a single medical issue. Zero medical issues. She's graduating from college this year. Um, I've got another friend who's a preacher in Cincinnati. Um, His daughter has some pretty significant um, physical and and mental issues. And there's not a day that goes by that he wouldn't, uh, that he, let me see if I phrase this properly, there's not a day that goes by that he wishes that they had chosen that. The fact that he's got that burden It's not a burden to him. He loves his daughter and he takes care of her and he wouldn't wish it any other way. So in summary, my body, my choice. If there's anybody that could say that, it's Christ. That concludes my lesson If there's any sins that are weighing on you, it doesn't have to be a sin that's this heavy. But no matter what, Christ gave his body. He gave his blood for us. It was his choice. Before the foundation of the universe was set, this choice was made. At this time, if there's anything that's weighing you down, Please come forward while we stand and sing.